Welcome, everyone. We are starting later than the appointed hour of 11.15. Because our worship service went longer than normal, it's a special service for Ordinance Sunday, the observance of the Lord's Table, Communion. We also had a number of folks joining in membership at the end of the service. So thank you for your patience. We will have session two of the series that we're going to be going through over the next few weeks, really for the remainder of the summer, called Mind Games. And you'll see what that is if you weren't with us last week for the opening session in just a bit. But I encourage you to take a look at the program that you should have received because it has the things that are coming up in the life of our church. And we didn't take time to announce those today during the first hour. We normally do. And for time's sake, we did not. So you'll need to look at that program on your own and identify things that might apply to you there. There are a number of things in there that are happening. One is happening this afternoon, and that is baptism at 5 o'clock. We have five folks who are being baptized, and I encourage you to come. Certainly all of those who are members of our church, if you are able to come at all, then I encourage you to be here at 5 to encourage those who are being baptized and taking these this important step of faith. We have a dinner afterwards as well, a celebration dinner, so it's always a, a great time in the Lord. So everybody who's a member of our church, I encourage you to come at 5 today, if at all possible. And then those of you who are not members of our church, we invite you to come. We would love to have you come and see what baptism is and see how we go about uh, the, this baptism celebration uh, after the uh, baptisms are done. So all of that is at 5 o'clock Come one, come all. We'll look forward to a great time. This coming Wednesday is the third session of the Financial Peace University. That is a Dave Ramsey uh, course. So it's only the third of nine weeks. But if you're going to get started with that, you probably should do that this week. But it's not too late. You've only missed uh, the first two sessions. And you can be given the materials for that to catch you up. So if you want to be part of the Financial Peace University, uh, then you need to show up on, on Wednesday And better yet, uh, before Wednesday, if you go to our resource center, which is out that back door and across the hall, you can uh, register for it so that they know you're coming, can have a workbook for you, and and so on. Last announcement is, on Friday, August the 2nd, Friday, no, Friday, August the 7th, Friday, August the 7th, is the Toledo Mud Hens game. We do that every year, and we get a block of tickets uh, reserved for our group. We've done that again this year. The tickets are $10 each. So if you want to be uh, get one of those tickets that's part of the block, then purchase those even today. Those are also in the resource center. And that night, uh, for the first time ever, we're, our group is going to sing the national anthem for the Mud Hens game. So you should come uh, for that as well. These guys have been practicing. I've heard them. They sound terrific. Uh, you'll want to make sure you're there before the first pitch if you want to hear them do the uh, national anthem. But the tickets are $10, so get those in the uh, resource center Friday night. August the 7th, Toledo Mudhens game. This is the second session of our Mind Games, what, we, what I call the Mind Game series. The subtitle of the series is How to Think uh, For and About Yourself. How to Think For Yourself and How to Think About Yourself. And I introduced that uh, last week, and part of today is going to be a bit more introduction. So those of you that were here last week... Uh, Stay with me uh, on that, if you would. But I asked uh, the question, when was the last time 
that you could identify major change that has been made in your Christian life. So just think for a moment and think about the last time that major change was made in your Christian walk. That you took a step forward in sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. Or if it's not major change, any identifiable change. So think about the last time a change occurred, a noticeable change Noticeable to you and noticeable for those who who know you. Now, that change can occur in a number of areas. It can occur in things that you were doing that you shouldn't do. So, you were doing something you know is not pleasing to God and you ceased doing that. That would be a great change. Or it might be something that you were not doing that God says you're supposed to do. You see, because sin is not just what we commit, sin is what we omit. Sin's not just what we do, it's what we fail to do that we're supposed to do. So think about that. Think about behavior, actions, things that you were doing that God that are not pleasing to God, things that you were not doing that God says would be pleasing to Him. When was the last time there was a change in your behavior? Or when was the last time there was a change in your speech? And again, the same categories, commission, omission, things that I'm saying that I shouldn't be saying, things that I'm not saying that I ought to be saying. Or a third category is in the way you think. Has there been a change in your thinking? Things that I should not be thinking and because they're displeasing to God. And things that I should be thinking because they are pleasing to God. When was the last time there was a change in any of those? My behavior, my speech, my thought. And as you think about the Christian life in those kinds of categories, what I do, what I say, what I think, now the process of becoming like Christ becomes more than what many of us tend to think. As I said last week, most of us tend to think of the process of the Christian life as outward conformity to what everybody else does. So if I externally conform to the group, then I fit in with the group, I'm comfortable with the group, the group's comfortable with me, I'm a Christian, I'm part of the church. This is the way we roll. And too many for too many Christians, that's as far as it goes. I'm like everybody else. I know the lingo. I've made my friends. We get together socially. We love seeing each other on Sunday. And I'm certainly not like the people out in the world. I'm not like that. So thank God he saved me from all of that. And so we just kind of get stagnant then. Because that's as far as our definition of sanctification goes. External conformity. But if you think about the fact that All that you do and all that you say and all that you think are to conform to the character of God. Now it becomes a much larger and a much longer task. Much larger and much longer, right? Because now, wow, I'm not done. (laughs) I I thought I was pretty good. And then Brown did this series on mind games. And told me how bad I am. 
I, it's always interesting when my wife and I have had somebody in our living room counseling with them. And I go through stuff like this about what you do and what you say and what you think. And the person often has a reaction, something like this. <laughs> I did not know I was that bad. And I say, hey, I've got great news. You're much worse than that. We haven't even got to it yet, okay? Now, really, you're, you are much, I am much worse than I think. That's why you need Jesus. Because you can't do it. You can't attain it. You can't meet it. That's why you need Christ, who has met God's standard. That's why you need the Spirit of God. But that's why it is a daily, moment-by-moment battle as well. To be conformed to the image of, of Jesus. Now, what I say to be conformed to the image of Jesus... So I'm asking you, as I ask myself, when was the last time you could say I've made tangible progress in my Christian walk? And progress toward what? Well, progress toward becoming like Christ. I mean, that's the end game. To be like Jesus. The Bible tells us that one day we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And by the way, the reason that you're guaranteed to be like him when you see him is because that's the only way to see him in all his glory is to be like him. You wouldn't be able to see him because no one can see God and live. And until you're glorified and you're like him, you ain't going to see him like that. So when we see him in his glory, we will be like him. That progress will be made in the life of the Christian. There will be a leap from where I left off when I leave this earth by rapture or by death. And I am glorified and I become like Jesus. But in the meantime, there is to be progress in becoming like Christ. So the end game is to become like Jesus in the way we think, in the way we talk, and in the way we act. Now, if you understand that that's the goal, then you should also understand, I should also understand, I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a long way to go, and it will be a lifelong thing. So here's what this means. It means change should be a constant in the Christian life. It shouldn't be an unusual thing that I'm seeing things, learning things about myself that I do that I shouldn't, that I ought to do that I fail to do, that I say that I shouldn't, or I ought to say that I fail to say, or things that I think that I ought not or things that I fail to think that actually ought to be saturating my mind. That ought not to be an unusual thing for a Christian. But, unfortunately, it is. Because, not only am I teaching a series called Mind Games, I'm a little bit of a mind reader as well. Do you all know that? And I'm reading some of your minds right now. And many of you are racking your brains going, yeah, when was the last time? When was the last time that I had to change something or did change something that was obvious to me and to other people. Or if it's not obvious to them, at least between me and the Lord, I he has made something known about my doing, talking, thinking that had to change. And if change is to be constant in the Christian life, then 
if we have a really hard time coming up with that, then something has something's failed. Something's misfiring. Now, I think part of what, what is misfiring is the fact that we don't do much of what I'm doing right now. In our churches, we're happy to just have this external conformity. But for my part, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy with that in my own walk with the Lord. And I'm not happy with that as a pastor for you and for our congregation. But forget what I'm happy with. The question is, what is God satisfied with? What does God want? He wants us to be like Jesus. So those of you that have been with us have heard me beat on this from time to time. You're hearing me beat on it now. And it challenges us in ways that very often we are not challenged. And just as an aside, it can then make it look like there are more problems in our congregation than the, than the average congregation. But there aren't. In fact, I would, I, would, I would submit to you there are less. I know a lot of pastor friends. I know a lot of churches. There are less. But here, here's the deal. It's not that we have more problems. It's that we deal with more problems. It's not we have more. We actually deal with the ones we have. Why do we do that? Because that's what God wants you doing in your personal life, me in my personal life, and us in our corporate life. So why then is change so infrequent? One reason is we don't talk about the necessity very much. But the other one is we really think that what is needed and only what is needed is this outward conformity. And so I catch on fairly quickly. I learned that if you hang around with these people, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't run around with those who do. Okay? You don't smoke, you don't chew, don't run with people who do. Got it. Okay, I'm a Christian. I don't smoke, I don't chew. Okay, I don't hang around with people who do. Now, by the way, if you struggle with smoke or chew, we'll still hang around with you. Okay? It just rhymes, so that's why we go with it. But they're just these, and then it stops there. This outward conformity to this list of things that Christians don't do. Okay, I don't do them. And then there's some things that Christians do, including showing up on, on Sunday. And as a result, as I said last week, the Christian life becomes stagnant. But here's another thing that I didn't say last week, and that's this. That as a result of being satisfied with only outward conformity, what then develops is an unspoken list of what one author has called acceptable sins. You see, because the stuff i got to get rid of is this obvious stuff that those people do. You know, those people. And so I don't do that stuff anymore. I do what you guys do. We do what each other does. And we develop an unspoken list of acceptable sins. Now think about what an oxymoron that is. But can you guys think of what some of those acceptable sins are? Now, I said one author calls it that. Uh, Jerry Bridges has a book that's called Respectable Sins. I think that's the name of it, Respectable Sins. And it's a very, very good book. And you might imagine what some of those uh, so-called acceptable or respectable sins are. How about gossip? Does gossip become an acceptable, respectable sin? Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> Why? Because we do it. See, if the standard 
is what we do or what we don't do, then whatever we actually engage in, by definition, then is okay. And so if people gossip in the church, gossip must not be that bad. So what is gossip? It's talking about someone or something for which you are not part of the problem or part of the solution. Slander. One of the words translated slander in your New Testament means literally this, to talk down. So for a Christian, when someone's name is mentioned, and let's just, let's confine it to the family of God. Let's confine it just to our local church family here. Somebody's name is mentioned who's within your congregation, our congregation. Then what ought to come out of your mouth? Blessing? Praising? Prayer? Lots of things that ought to come out of our mouth when we think about each other. But very often what comes out of our mouths is talking down, saying something negative about. Now, as we continue in our mind game series in the weeks to come, we're going to see that communication occurs not only audibly, but non-verbally as well. We all know there's such a thing as non-verbal communication also, right? So I can actually say something negative about someone without saying a word by my non-verbal communication to them or about them. So gossip and slander can become respectable, acceptable sins. Why? Because the standard is what we do. Outward conformity to what we do. So if it becomes acceptable... In your church, if it becomes acceptable in your part of your church, whatever ministry you serve in, if that becomes acceptable there, then it's respectable. It's okay. It must not be that bad. How about complaint? Complaining. Well, of course we complain. We're American. You must be a foreign spy. you got to be... It is downright American to be able to complain. Everyone has a right to his or her own opinion. I got to, everyone is entitled to my opinion. I would not want to deprive you of the benefit of my opinion. And very often my opinion is that everybody else is really messed up. People are clueless. We think, why can't everybody be like me? And you see how that complaint, that criticism about others and what they do, how they do it, fail to do, all starts with the mind game. Because it begins with how I see myself and the lofty view I have of myself. And because I have this lofty view of myself, then of necessity I have a lower view of others. And yet the Bible says very directly, Philippians 2 and verse 14, Philippians 2, 14, quote, do everything without complaining. Now I'm going into mind reader mode again. Some of you are going, 
I didn't sign up for that. When I became a Christian, I mean, you know, you gave me the good news, and the good news is Jesus died for me, and Jesus lived for me. And yes, I want to live for Jesus, but I didn't know living for Jesus meant that. This kind of examination of myself that gets down to my thoughts and my words, not just my deeds. But think about this. What if others knew what you think? If you, if you can, just this week, for a period of time, if you could carve out 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or several times this week, if you were able to consciously consider what you're considering, consider what you're thinking about. What you're thinking about yourself, what you're thinking about other people, what you're thinking about your circumstances. And what if other people knew what you were thinking about? Now, stay with me. One of the reasons you don't do things you refrain from, one of the reasons you don't do those things, is because, as I said last week and now again, we're big on outward conformity, conformity to the standards of the group. So outward actions, external things, are things that are overt, they're obvious, they're things that people see. So I better conform. I better know the things that I can do and the things that I can't do the things that are acceptable and not acceptable. With my words, same way. There's certain words, you know, in this group, they don't curse. I don't hear a lot of cursing. I don't hear any cursing going on. So cursing apparently is not the thing here, so I'll have to save that for Monday through Saturday. So, you know, so I don't curse. But gossip apparently is okay. Slander, complaining certainly. So that's acceptable. But with regard to what I think... I mean, that's just a playground. Why? Because nobody knows it. If the things that I do or refrain from doing are largely because of what people know about me, what they see about me, what's obvious and overt, if that's the case, as it is for most of us, then the things they can't see, that's my little playground. And I can think whatever I want about me, about them about my situation. What if others knew what you think about them in the recesses of your mind, the assumptions that you make about them and about yourself? What if somebody had a video camera that could get into your brain? You know, it's great theater. I, I enjoy sometimes these shows. These uh, There's something on CNBC called uh, American Greed. You guys ever seen that series, American Greed? And it shows these people getting caught in their greed. And, you know, the FBI catching them and hidden cameras and all of that. And there's something in my depravity that enjoys seeing people get caught. You know, you see somebody get caught red-handed. But what if somebody were able to see what's going on in your mind? Now... Of course, none of us can. And my whole thing about being a mind reader is, of course, a joke. But God can, can't he? The Lord God knows every thought. Every thought 
that goes through your mind and my mind about ourselves, about other people, about him, and about our, our situations. When we look at inward issues, then, we see so much more that needs to change about us. And all of a sudden, we got a much tougher road to hoe and a much longer way to go. And the truth of the matter is we all know that there is no such thing as acceptable sin. It is an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms, isn't it? And God is in the change business. But God's not just in the outward conformity change business. He's in the speech change business. And he's in the thought change business. He desires to see all of that changed. Gradually, progressively, toward the way Jesus would talk and think and act. Now, how do I know he's in the change business? If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. And in 2 Timothy 3... Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, writing the last book that the great apostle would pen, 2 Timothy. This is the last book. So it takes on what he decides to say in the final two chapters that he would write that are included in our New Testament. Take on great significance. I mean, everything the Bible says is significant. But whatever Paul is saying here must be really important. Because in the next chapter, chapter 4, final chapter he'll, that he'll write, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's going to be executed soon. But what he chooses to write about at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 is significant. At the end of chapter 3, he's writing about the scriptures. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 2 As he's passing the mantle on to Timothy, he says, Timothy, preach the word. So what's on Paul's mind as Paul is thinking about the fact that his departure is at hand? And that I've run the race and that I've kept the faith. What's on his mind? The scriptures and the word. So Timothy, chapter 3, back in verse 10, starting in verse 10, he says, Timothy, you have known my way of life. And the things that I have endured. And he says, but the Lord has brought me through all of them. Then he says in verse 12, I believe it is, might be 13. He says that everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. As evil men and imposters go from bad to worse. But you are not like them. But you, you are not like that. Here's why you're not like that. Because you have been changed. And in verse 15, you have known from infancy the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The reason you, Timothy, are different, the reason, to put it another way, that you, Timothy, are changed 
is because the means of change that God has determined to use, namely the word of God, the scriptures, were given to you through your godly mother and grandmother. And from infancy, you have known them and you have come to Christ as a result. You've been saved. You've been rescued. You've been delivered. You've been changed. And you've been changed via the vehicle that God has given for change. The Holy Scriptures. So the first big change that takes place is when I come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. When I go from being an unbeliever to a believer. When I go from being a child of the devil to a child of Almighty God. Conversion. Salvation, rescue, deliverance. That's the first big change. And it doesn't come apart from the Word of God, which alone instructs us with regard to this change and the need for change and how it happens and on what basis it happens. But then what about after I'm saved, after I'm delivered, after I've been converted? Verse 16. Famously then says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. For teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. So not only do the Holy Scriptures effectuate, accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit, this change, this conversion in us, but then the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the Scriptures have an ongoing work in not just salvation, but now sanctification. Scripture is useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And I pointed out to you in the past that those four things are in logical sequence. You can't put one before the other. Paul writes them that way for a reason. Teaching precedes rebuking. So the Word of God, the Scriptures, teach me, instruct me. And as I look into what James chapter 1 calls the mirror of the Word of God, as I look into the mirror of the Word, I'm taught about myself, and I'm taught about God, and I'm taught about other people. And I'm taught about my circumstances. The Scriptures are useful for this teaching, and I see myself in the mirror. And when I see myself in the mirror, there should be a gap between the standard that God has and where I am. And that's why the second thing occurs, rebuking. I see that gap and I'm rebuked. The word that's translated rebuke is the same word that is translated convict. When I look in the mirror of the Word of God and I see God's character there and I see His standard for me there, then I am convicted. One of the reasons that you and I have a hard time coming up with an example of change in our lives is because we haven't been convicted in a long time. It's been a long time since we looked and we said, oh my, this is what God says and this is what I am. But the word of God is to have that effect, to teach me. To show me and then to convict me. If there's a period there, we're all dead. If it goes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, period. Okay. There I am wallowing in my conviction. 
But what do I do? And the Bible goes on, that verse goes on to say it's useful for a third thing, correcting. And that word correct means to cause to stand something which has previously fallen. So God doesn't leave us convicted. God instructs us in the word of God about how to correct what is wrong. So you've got passages like Ephesians 4. Put off. This is how you correct. Put off certain kinds of thinking, certain kinds of speaking, certain kinds of behavior. Put off. Put on others. That's how you correct. And the Word of God gives you that instruction. And then the fourth thing is training. Discipline, training, and righteousness so that this correction is not a one-time thing, but rather becomes part of the DNA of your Christian life. Discipline, training, and righteousness. And the Word of God instructs on that. Now, if that's, if that's going to happen, if we're going to win the mind games, then we have to identify the areas that need to change. Allow the Word of God to identify the areas that need to change so that we are then convicted, but then correction takes place and discipline, training, and righteousness occurs. And one of those areas that we absolutely need to see has to change for all of us on a regular basis is the way we think, the way we play the mind games. And the Bible teaches us on that. The Bible teaches us about the mind games. Now, I wanted to today look at one of the passages that teach us about that. It's in Psalm 42, but alas, I cannot. Because we started late, because we got done late. And so allow me just to complain for a few moments, all right? So we won't be able to get to Psalm 42. But next week, we will look at Psalm 42 together. And in Psalm 42, you're going to see an example of the psalmist thinking out loud to himself and thinking out loud about himself. And instead of listening to himself, he talks to himself. Instead of listening to the thoughts that are in his mind that shouldn't be, he talks to himself So that he replaces those thoughts with those that should be. So next week we are going to see from scripture that one of the things we've got to do if we're going to win the mind games is we've got to stop listening to ourselves and learn to talk to ourselves. So this week I hope that you will at least do this. Think about thinking. Think about your thoughts. Try to take those 15 minutes to go, wow, what a junkyard my mind is. And I'm not just, you know, talking about feasting on overtly, obviously sinful things. It's, It's clearly the case that I should not be watching or listening or participating in things that are obviously sinful. That's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... The -the run-of-the-mill, garden-variety, acceptable, respectable sins that go through our minds all the time in the way we think about ourselves, other people, God, and our circumstances. Think about your thinking this week. 
And then next week, let's see the necessity of stopping, ceasing, listening to ourselves and beginning to preach to ourselves, talk to ourselves. Let's ask God to go with us this week. Father, thank you for this blessed day, the opportunity to have worshipped you through remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us through the ordinance of the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. And thank you for the difference that it has made in us. Thank you, Lord, that though we are not what we are to be, none of us who know you are what we were. And so we thank you for that. But, oh, Lord, the progress for so many of us has been stunted. And it's been stunted for many reasons, but one of those is we have become satisfied with where we are, satisfied conforming to the group's standards rather than yours. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take what we have learned this second hour and to contemplate that, think on that. Think about the fact that you know our thoughts and you care about our thoughts, not just our words and not just our deeds. And in fact, remembering that our words and our deeds begin with our thoughts. Help us, Lord, then to take those seriously in a way that perhaps many of us never have. This week, help us to think about our thinking. And we ask you to bring us back together next week so that we can be instructed from your word about how we can redirect our thoughts as we talk to ourselves, as we preach to ourselves your truth. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.